Did anybody read chapter 3? Did anybody go ahead and read chapter 3? No? Okay. <clears throat> you guys are in for a treat this morning. Amen. When we say that scripture is clear, we're going to see it this morning how scripture is crystal clear and how the Old Testament and the New Testament are completely tied to one another. Uh, there is no division, there's no separation, and we're going to see that this morning uh, in the book of Leviticus. Amen. As you guys know, we've been studying the book of Leviticus for the past two weeks. Uh, this morning we will continue in chapter 3, but before I go on, um, as I always do, I like to mention our podcast. Uh, we are on 11 different podcasts, and those are Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and Reason. Um, and again, guys, like I do every week, I encourage you to please share these. Um, whatever it is, whatever podcast you use, share it with someone else. Uh, sometimes people don't have the opportunity to be here physically, but this is a good avenue that God has given us to share his word. And so if God has given us this avenue and someone is taking the time to push forth this ministry, um, please, let's share it. We share many things and sometimes are meaningless. Uh, so why not share the word of God? Amen? Amen. And so again, you can find us in those 11 different podcasts and you can search us in In One Spirit Miami. There we'll come up and we'll have all our teachings up to last week will be on our podcast. So in case you miss something, you can go back and listen to it again. Amen? Amen. Also, if you're watching online and you would like to sow a seed into this ministry, you can go into onespiritchurch.com and there you can sow your seed. Amen? So I want to recap a bit the last two weeks because um, the book of Leviticus, like I've mentioned, it's, it's a very difficult book to teach. Um, we want to try to draw as much as we can from every chapter. And sometimes these chapters are just either so straightforward or you really need to dig into them to get something. But there's always something in the word of God, right? Um, God did not just write books just to write them. He wrote them because there is a meaning in every single word and every single chapter and every single book that he left for us to guide our lives by. And Leviticus is no exception, even though a lot of people want to do away with these books because they say there's too many rules, there's too many regulations. It limits us. When you look at the word of God as a burden, you live like that. But when you begin to look at the word of God as a blessing, as Amen. revelation, as an instruction to your life, as direction to your life, it gives it a whole different meaning. And the book of Leviticus is such a book. There's a lot of rules, there's a lot of teachings, there's a lot of instructions, but we have to look at the word of God as giving us direction to where God is taking us. We may be here today, this morning, we may be in a certain season in our lives, but God is going from season to season, from place to place, and we have to move with him. We cannot stay still. God is not meant for our lives to stay stagnant, right? We say that God is always moving, so therefore we must always move with God. But in order to be able to move with God, we have to be prepared to where God is taking us. And that's why we study scripture. To be prepared, to be informed of what it is that God wants for our lives. Amen. So the last two weeks, we've covered the first two sacrifices or the first two offerings that the book of Leviticus speaks about. The first one was the burnt offering, which in Hebrew is called the olah. And the second one was the grain offering or the meal offering, which is called the minha. 
right? So those are the first two offerings that we spoke about over the last two weeks in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the book of Leviticus. And one thing we said that was a key element in the first two offerings was what? The smoke. The smoke was the key element in these offerings. Remember, the mentality of this era was that when they were, whenever they would sacrifice something on the altar of sacrifice, or the brazen altar as it's called as well, that smoke that would rise, their mentality was that God was in the heavens inhaling this smoke. And so therefore between the sacrifice and the mixing of the oils and all the incense that was poured on that altar, whenever it would reach God, scripture says that it would be a sweet fragrance, a sweet aroma unto God. Now, it's hard to understand how the multitude of this era thought such a thing. But we said it before. We're not here to understand God. We're here to just believe and obey God. Amen. And they were doing this, these, these sacrifice in faith. It wasn't so much about can God smell a smoke, but they were doing it in obedience to God. Because why? They were trying to reestablish a relationship which was lost in the book of Exodus. If we remember with the golden calf issue and all that stuff, that division, that separation from men and God happened. And again, we see towards the end of the book of Exodus how men tries to rekindle, tries to, to reestablish. And that's what God wants at the end of the day. God wants to reestablish that relationship because it was broken since the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. That relationship was broken since then. And ever since then, God has been trying to reestablish the relationship. Amen. So we see, yes, the key elements of the smoke. It was reaching God. It was a sweet aroma unto God. Now, why was this mentality in place? Why did these people think such a thing? Well, this was customary to do to the pagan gods. This was customary to do to the pagan gods. This was something that they would do. Remember, the Israelites, now at this point, it is a mixed multitude. It's not just Israelites. There's Egyptians blended in there. When they came out of Egypt, Scripture says that it wasn't just Israelites that came out. It was a mixed multitude. They're therefore giving us insight that Egyptians also came out. Egyptians also believe in the true God of Israel. Amen. And so therefore they left with these Israelites. So the pagan traditions were there. The way they, they, they praised their God and the, and, the, and the rituals that they did to the gods was very similar to what was taking place here at this time. So you may ask yourself, why would God do the same thing? Why would God accept such a thing if this was something that was done to pagan gods? Is God actually copying the pagan gods? No, actually it's backwards. All the rituals that men was doing was copying what, was, what God had done since the beginning of time. Now, two things that we also have to remember. The first one is that the ingredients that were used in these sacrifices were completely different than those that were used to worship pagan gods. If you guys remember last week, it said, scripture says that the honey was forbidden. 
there were key ingredients that were forbidden from doing these sacrifices. Why? Because even though it was similar, it was not the same. There needed to be a difference between the way they worship God and the way anyone else worshiped their pagan gods. So there were some key elements, some key ingredients that God said, no, you can't use that. You can't use leaven. Not during, these, not during these offerings. Leaven will be permitted later on for something else, and we'll talk about that today. But you cannot use them for these offerings specifically. You cannot use honey for these offerings specifically. They're an abomination. If you mix them, whatever it is that you're doing will not be a pleasing aroma unto me. And we kind of related that to our lives. We kind of related that in the way that we behave, our actions, our words, the things we think. Those things are related to that. To, is our life being a sweet aroma unto God? Depends on the condition of the heart, the obedience of the heart, and the behavior, our character. That is how we are a sweet aroma unto God. Of course, nowadays, there need, there's no need for a, a, an actual sacrifice because what? Yeshua became our perfect sacrifice. Amen. He was our atonement. And even if you wanted to do it, there's no temple. So you cannot partake in such a thing. But so how do we how do we apply this? Simply by our lives, taking a reflection on our lives, taking a look into our heart and see the condition of our heart. See the obedience in our heart. That tells us if our life is a sweet aroma unto God. Amen. Amen. So again, key ingredients. We need to remember that. Key ingredients is number one. And the second one simply is this. These were God's words. If this is the way God wanted to, for his people to worship him, that settles it. Simple as that. We, we, we can't say, oh God, why are you doing this if the, pagan, if the people worship the pagan gods the same way? Who are we to question God how he deserves to be worshipped? These are simply God's words. If he says, worship me this way, we worship him that way. If he says, worship me another way, we worship him another way. Simple as that. They're simply God's words. Amen. Who are we to replace the word of God? Who are we to alter and manipulate the word of God? Because that is what is being done nowadays. And that's why the church is so confused. Manipulation of scripture. So again, number one was the key ingredients. Number two, simply these are words of God. Now that being said, this is one of the main reasons why modern day religion doesn't understand or holds on to to discard books like Leviticus. Because they don't take the time to study them. They don't take the time to understand scripture. So if you don't take the time to study something, you're never going to learn it. When we were in school, that they were trying to teach you something, you had to study for it, right? When there, well, there was a test, you had to study for the test. Otherwise, you would flunk the test. The same thing is with Scripture. You have to take the time to study Scripture. It's not coming to church once a week and expect to learn everything in an hour sermon. Not going to happen. I always say, I encourage you guys to go back and put what we taught here to the test. Do your own study. Do your own research. See what God reveals to you. Because God might reveal something different to you than what he revealed to me while I sat down to study all week. But that's the problem that modern day religion has. 
They don't take the time to study, and so therefore they take the book of Leviticus and they discard it. Why? All these sacrifices don't apply to us. There's no temple. We can't do them. They're right about that. But there's revelation Amen. in the sacrifices. Amen. If you take the time to study them, there's revelations, as we've seen over the last two weeks, how they all point to Messiah. There is no doubt that each sacrifice points to Messiah, and we'll see this one this morning as well. Amen. And how appropriate it was that Leviticus opened with the burnt offering. It couldn't have opened better. And we saw how that burnt offering pointed to Messiah. Amen? Amen. So again, modern day religions, uh, religion discards book as Leviticus because they don't understand it and they don't want to study. But scripture is clear. Amen. Very clear. And look what scripture says in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. This is a famous verse that many people love to quote. The problem is they stop halfway. Yeah. As a matter of fact, they don't even stop halfway. They stop in this after the second line. Yeah. And look how clear scripture is. Wow. Come on. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Right? That's where we stop. That's right. That's it. We stop there. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves to quote that. People perish for lack of knowledge and they take it way out to left field. <laughs> Let's stick to scripture because scripture interprets scripture. Right. Scripture is very clear. Let's not stop reading there. I always mention you must read before and you must read after to understand what God is trying to tell you. You cannot take scripture out of context. It's very easy to do that. I can take that scripture, stop there, and preach you in a sermon on a whole different angle, and you will be like, wow, that's amazing. But it will be contrary to what scripture says. That's right. We just mentioned that people do away with the book of Leviticus because they don't understand it. They don't want to study it. No knowledge. Look what scripture says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Since you rejected knowledge, what's knowledge? The word of God. Since you rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. From being my Kohen, my priest. Since you forgot the Torah of your God, Torah instructions. Come on. Let's not limit it to the first five books of the Bible. Mm. Torah simply means instructions. That's right. So in other words, since you forgot the instructions of your God, Ooh. you so I will forget your children. Mm. Scripture is very clear. You don't take the time to study. You don't take the time to, to see the, the scriptures and search the scriptures to gain knowledge. Yeah, you will perish for lack of knowledge. But since you forgot God's instructions and you want to do away with them, God will also forget you and reject you. It's very clear, guys. Every time we hear somebody say, oh, we do away with that book. Oh, uh, no, Jesus did away with that too and did away with that. So, I mean... By the end of, the of days, we have no commandments. Come on. Because we keep tearing them. These don't apply anymore. Nowadays, some people don't even read the Old Testament without realizing that the Old Testament was the foundation for the New Testament. You cannot understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Impossible. That's right. You have no idea what Paul is talking about if you don't study the Old Testament. 
So we see scripture being very clear. If we choose to reject knowledge, God himself will also reject us. Amen? Let's go ahead and start with the book of Leviticus. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 1 and 2 and pause there, and we're going to break that down for a second. Leviticus chapter 3, we're going to read verse 1 and 2. And it says, now, if his offering is a sacrifice of fellowship offering, if from the herd, whether male or female, he is to offer one without blemish before Adonai, he shall lay his hands on the head of his offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the Kohanim, are to splash the blood around the altar. Some translations translate this as the fellowship offering, as mine. I have the TLV version. Some translate it into the peace offering, um, as many of you may have it. And the reason why it's translated as the peace offering is because the root word for this offering comes from the word shalom, Amen. which we know not only means peace, but it means so much more oh, than yes. peace. Yes. My wife gave a study on the word shalom, and we saw how much revelation is actually in the word of shalom. So when you say shalom, it's not just telling somebody peace be with you. It's you giving, you're telling them well-being be with you and wholeness be with you and many, many other things that shalom means. So it's not just limited to peace. But for the sake of interpretation, we're, we'll refer to it this morning as the peace offering. Now again, I might read it in my translation as the fellowship and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. So again, the root word comes from the word shalom. Now, normally when you offer someone a peace offering, it's because something has gone wrong with the person or the relationship has been broken, right? You're trying to make peace with the person. This peace offering has nothing to do with that. This peace offering is not because the worshiper was coming to make peace with God because he broke something or he's trying to reestablish something with God. Simply means a thanksgiving offering, actually. And I'll, I'll go into that in a minute. Even though for the translation, we're going to go to peace offering. But more suitable translation for this type of offering will actually be either a, um, a thanksgiving offering or a well-being offering. This was something that the worshiper, the person that was bringing the offering, had in their heart to do towards God. Why? Because they were simply grateful. I don't know about you, but I'm simply grateful to God Amen. that he's brought me this far. Amen. So because of that, this type of offering, I would bring in onto him and worship him and sacrifice this as a peace offering, as a Thanksgiving offering as a well-being offering of how good and faithful God has been in my life. Amen. That is what this peace offering is all about. So it's not because a relationship was broken. It's not because someone did something wrong to God. It was simply done out of gratitude. Simply because they were grateful to who God was in their life. Now, this offering is considered to be more of a voluntary offering than a mandatory one. In the book of Leviticus, we'll study five different offerings. Three of them are voluntary, two of them are mandatory. So far, the previous two that we studied, the burnt offering 
And the grain offering or meal offering, as it's, all, as it's referred to sometimes, are also voluntary offerings. Okay? So the first two and this one that we're studying this morning are all voluntary offerings. There will be two more offerings that we'll study as we go through the book of Leviticus. Those are mandatory offerings. That's the reason why this offering could be considered more of a thanksgiving offering because it was simply not mandated by God to do. It was simply of the worshiper, the person that was bringing the offering of how grateful they were to God. Simply as that. So depending on how grateful you were to God, you will bring the offering. And you were sacrificing in the same place of the altar of sacrifice. So as we read the first two verses, we immediately see similarities. Right? Similarities to the first two offerings that we've studied so far. But we also see a difference. One thing that is very important that we see is that the similarities here of this offering has nothing to do with atoning for sin. Okay? Remember, the burnt offering was done to atone for sin. Then we saw the grain offering, which was done in, in, in also in part of the burnt offering together. They usually were done together right back to back. And then we see this, this um, peace offering just out of plain gratitude of the person, just, just following pretty much the first two that they, they, they've done. But this has nothing to do with sin. Again, this is simply the heart of a person just coming forth and bringing an offering to God. Again, this was simply a thanksgiving offering to the, to the Lord. Unlike the burnt offering, though, which the sacrifice had to be a male animal, remember that, the burnt offering was very specific. God gave specific instructions on the burnt offering that it was to be a male animal. And we studied that. The reason why God said that was because the male animals were more dominant, were, were stronger, you know, so God wanted the best you know, for the burnt offering. Now, the peace offering, here we see a difference because here it says that it could be either a male or female. Here in this peace offering, God is not giving specifics. He said, you want to bring me a, a peace offering? You want to bring me a Thanksgiving offering? Fine, it could be a male or a female. But one thing still remains. And that is that the offering needed to be without blemish. We cannot miss these things. Because still, by this being put there in scripture, tells us that it still needed to be the best. It still needed to be pure. Why? Because otherwise it doesn't align to later on in scripture. Otherwise it doesn't point to the Messiah. So even though God is giving now the option to you to bring whether a male or female as a sacrifice of thanksgiving, still it needs to be without blemish. In other words, it needs to be pure. It needs to be the best of, of your herd. It needs to cost you. Amen. See, it's easy to give an animal that was hurt. It's easy to give an animal that was about to die. But when you have to give the best, meaning you have to take from what's in front, not from the back, it costs you. And so therefore, your obedience to do that, it displays to God that sweet aroma from your life. Obedience. Amen. 
Now, again, without blemish meant these things. Number one, without blemish meant that we give God the very best that we have. We don't give him leftovers. We don't give him what we think God deserves. We don't give him what we just choose, whatever we choose to give. No, we give God our best, the best of our time, Amen. the best of everything because he deserves it. Amen. Number two, without blemish meant it needed to point to a sinless substitute. This, this sacrifice that would be sacrificed on the altar of sacrifice needed to be pure. It needed to be sinless. It needed to be without blemish. Again, pointing to Messiah. And number three, like I just mentioned, it needed to point to our Savior, Yeshua. Amen. That's why God emphasizes on the word without blemish. Because he was without blemish, without any stain. And as a matter of fact, he's coming for a church that's without stain and without wrinkle. Come on. Amen. Amen. Now, <clears throat> the laying on the heads of the head, as we study the previous sacrifices, again, was a signal of transfer, right? Was a signal of transfer in the same way that another key element was the what? The blood. So we see again that the worshiper would put his hands around the head of the animal, would slaughter the animal, and the blood that would come out of the animal, it was the priest's job to get that blood and sprinkle it around the altar. So the things that were done in this sacrifice were pretty much the same that were in the previous sacrifice when it came to the animal in the burnt offering. Because we saw obviously in the grain that there was no animal, it was more for food, right? It was the grain that was burned up, not an actual animal. So we see here a lot of similarities between this Thanksgiving offering and the burnt offering. Still the same, no blemish, and the blood is another key element in this sacrifice. Now if you went ahead and read this chapter, verse 5 might be a bit controversial. Please don't miss this. There's a huge revelation in this scripture. And we're about to go into it right now. Leviticus chapter 3. Let's go back into scripture and we'll read from verse 3 to verse 5. You guys with me so far? Amen. Amen. He says, He is to bring from the sacrifice of fellowship offering an offering made by fire to Adonai. The fat that covers the innards, all the fat that is on the entrails, as well as the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, which is by the loins, plus the cover on the liver, that he must remove with the kidneys. Verse 5. Aaron's sons are to burn it up as smoke on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is over the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire, a soothing aroma to Adonai. We read that a certain type and location of the animal fat was the one used for the peace offering. This now has specific instructions of where the fat is supposed to be taken from. Where from the animals, which organs are supposed to be taken from the animal. And those are the ones that God wants on the altar of sacrifice because they are key. These are the things that we need to study and pay attention to. Why the liver? Why the fat around the innards? Why the fat on the entrails? Why? It is basically the back of the animal. So if you were looking at a cow, okay, the back of the cow is what is there? 
the filet mignon, which is supposed to be, quote unquote, the best part of the meat. It's the, it's, it's the softest part of the meat. It's the part of the meat my wife loves. I don't care for the filet mignon. I'd rather have a ribeye. And the fat is very important, as you can see in scripture. Keep it. <laughs> so again, a certain type and location of the animal fat was the one used for the peace offerings. This fat in Hebrew is called the helef. It is very important that it was not to be consumed. This part of the animal was strictly for sacrifice, not to be consumed. As a matter of fact, to this day, Jews don't eat this part of the animal because it's strictly for sacrifice. It's not to be consumed. The location of that fat represents the choicest part of that animal. In other words, it is the best of the animal has to offer. That fat that is around the innards, it's around the entrails, it's around the liver and everything was the best part of the animal. So therefore, what is it telling us? That God requires our best. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If the best is supposed to be sacrificed unto God, therefore, what is it telling us? That he requires of our lives the best. So why do we try to give God our leftovers? Come on, somebody. Why do we give, why do we try to give God whatever time we may have left? Why do we make God first in our lives? I'm too occupied, God. I'm sorry. I have too much work. I have too much going on in my life. My kids, my job, people texting me, people calling me. Let me attend to those things first. When I'm done with those, I will give you some time. Sometime, if I have. I think we have life twisted, guys. We, we have it backwards. You have to put God first than other stories. Preach. God needs to come first in our lives. Amen. Not sometimes. All the time. Not when we need something. Come on. Not when we choose to, but all the time. Amen. He requires the best of our lives. Doesn't God give the best of him? Yes. Yes. Amen. He really did. Mm -hmm. So why do we kind of slack? Why, why don't we meet God where we're supposed to meet him? And then when we don't, we get upset at God because God is not coming through for us. And I'm sure God is just looking down and saying, I've been asking you for the best. You're just giving me leftovers. I'm not here for crumbs. Come on. I didn't pour out crumbs over your life. Whenever you come to me with a petition or a prayer, I don't give you crumbs. I give you the best. As a matter of fact, I exceed your expectations every time you come. I give you so much more than what you ask me. Why are you giving me crumbs? Is that how much I'm worth to you, says the Lord? I'm worth your crumbs, your leftovers. If God is worth our crumbs and our leftovers, why do we consistently keep coming back to him? Because we know that he's worth so much more. Amen. Yet we withhold from God what he deserves from us. And I think Leviticus 3 teaches us that we must give God our very best. If we want God to continue to give us his very best. So again, the back part of where this fat was, was the best part of the animal. Now, 
<clears throat> in verse 5, we read that the peace offering was burnt on top of the burnt offering. Remember, the burnt offering was the first offering done. Then came the grain offering. Then came the peace offering. So in the same altar of sacrifice where the burnt offering was, which the burnt offering was atoned for sin, here we're coming and giving a thanksgiving offering to God. That doesn't make sense. Wait a second. Why am I giving the very best of my animal or the very best to God on top of something that atoned for sin? These are the questions that we need to have. What does that mean, Lord? Why are you telling me to offer something so good that I'm so pleased with what you're doing in my life on top of something that I atoned for a sin that I committed? Before we understand that, we have to read on. Go with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 7. And we're going to read from verse 11 to verse 15. Because there's a huge revelation here. Please don't miss that. Leviticus 7, verse 11 through verse 15. It says, now this is the Torah of the sacrifice. Again, the instructions of the sacrifice of fellowship offering, which may be offered to Adonai. If he brings it for a thanksgiving, then he is to present with the sacrifice of thanksgiving matzah cakes mixed with olive oil. On leaven. Matzah wafers anointed with oil. On leaven. And fine flour cakes mixed with oil. He is to present his offering with the sacrifice of his fellowship offering for thanksgiving along with cakes of bread with habits. Wait a second, that's leaven. God, you're confusing me. You're asking me to bring a offering of thanksgiving without blemish, without leaven, but at the same time you're telling me to mix it with leaven, with sin? Notice, this sacrifice is done in the same altar where the burnt offering was, which atoned for sin. So we see an unleavened sacrifice mixed with a sin sacrifice. Matzah, hametz. From each he is, don't miss this, from each he is to offer one out of every offering a gift to Adonai. It will belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offering. Verse 15, the meat of the sacrifice of this fellowship offering for thanksgiving, it is to be eaten on the day of this offering. He is not to leave any of it until the morning. When we speak of this verse, wow. or actually when we break down this verse with what it speaks about in Leviticus 7 of the matzah and the hametz, we can consider this as a prophetic announcement of God bringing both Jew and Gentile together in peace with Messiah. Why would God say offering, a blemished offering, a grateful offering on top of sin. He was trying to bring both. This is him, God, saying there is no separation whether you're Jew or Gentile. I love you both the same. You don't believe me? Let's go to scripture. Ephesians 2, chapter 11. 
We'll take everything back to Scripture. Love it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We'll read down all the way to verse 22. It says, Therefore, keep in mind that once you were Gentiles of the flesh, were called uncircumcision by those called circumcision, Jew, Gentile, That's right. which is performed on flesh by hand. At that time, you were separated from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, now. you who once were far off, right. have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Amen. What was the key element in all these sacrifices? The blood. the blood sprinkled around the altar. What were the sacrifices that were put on the altar? All pointed to who? To Messiah. So you, Gentile, who were once far off, because of what he represents to us as the atonement, the perfect sacrifice, we have been brought together. We have now part of the commonwealth of Israel. So therefore now we are Jew and Gentile both in one. Let's continue to read. Look what it continues to say. Uh, verse 13, but now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Amen. For he is our what? Shalom. What are we studying this morning? Shalom offering. Wow. The one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation. Hallelujah. <laughs> Within his flesh, he made powerless the hostility. The law code of the mitzvah contained in regulations. He did this in order to create within himself one man from what? Two groups. Two groups. Making what? Shalom. Wow. And to reconcile both to who? God. What have they been trying to do since the book of Exodus? Reconcile themselves back to God because of the sin they committed in the golden path. Reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Verse 17. And he came and proclaimed what? Shalom. shalom to you who were far away and shalom to those who what? Were near. Were near. Gentile Jew. Jew. Come on. So powerful. For those him wow. we both have access to the Father through Woo. the same rule, through the same so then you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and remember of God's household. Verse 20, you have been built on the foundation made up of the emissaries and prophets. That's the foundation for the New Testament. Come on. Which Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone, in him the whole building being fitted together the New Testament, he is the cornerstone. Yes. Why? Because he was spoken about by the prophets in the Old, Old Testament. Testament. Come on. So good. In him, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the spirit. Very clear. Is scripture clear? Yes. 
or not? Ephesians is in the New Testament. Come on. How can you understand that scripture if you don't study Leviticus? It's impossible. You have no idea what it's saying. We who were once far off can now sit at God's table and feast with him. We can feast with him because we have what? The peace with God. We can feast with him because we have the peace of God. And we can feast because we have the Prince of Peace within us. Now, is the peace offering significant or not? I say it is. Let's go back to Leviticus. Let's read from verse 6 to verse 8. I was in awe when I read that part. And I'm like, wait a second. Verse 5 seems a little contradicting. So I began to read. And I began to search. Because that's what we've got to do. And I'm like, wait a second. I know God's word is not contradicting. Where is God going with this? And see, that's what we have to read. And now we understand that the Bible, it's not necessary in order. We've mentioned this before. Man broke it down for us to understand it and read it in a certain way. But the Bible is not in numerical order. And so sometimes we have to go forward in order to go backwards and understand what we're reading. That's the reason why we went to Leviticus 7. And that's the reason why we even went to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. So we can understand where is that scripture coming from. And what is God talking to us here in verse 5? Because at first, it seems that God is contradicting himself. God never contradicts himself. Amen? Amen. If his gift for a sacrifice of fellowship offering to Adonai is from the flock, remember the first one was from the herd, this is from the flock, he is to offer a male or female without blemish. If he is bringing a lamb for his offering, he shall present it before Adonai. He is to lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it, excuse me, before the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons are to splash its blood around the altar. Again, we read that the offering could be either from the herd, as the first part spoke about, or the flock. But very important, unlike the burnt offering, it could not be from the birds. Remember that. In the burnt offering, God gave different examples and he said give different um, options to the people. He said you could bring me from the herd, you could bring it from the flock, or you could bring it from the birds. This Thanksgiving offering, it's a little bit more, I would say, more personal. So even though it was given the option in the burnt offering for those that didn't have a lot of money to bring a bird, a bird offering, because that's what it was. It was a different status as we studied that, remember. Here, it almost seems as God says, okay, maybe you don't have the money that you need yet, but I want to kind of push you to strive because it needs to cost you. So what you're going to strive for to bring before me as a Thanksgiving offering, it truly needs to cost you. So he exempts the birds out of this offering and only allows the offering to be either from the herd or from the flock. Now we must remember what I mentioned earlier about the sacrifice just as the previous two. It was voluntary. But even though it was voluntary, it was 
still the best. Now, something very important that this is, I was studying it, really caught my attention. In our everyday prayers without noticing, we touch these three offerings that we've been studying so far. And we don't notice. We touch the burnt offering, we touch the meal offering, and we touch the Thanksgiving offering or the peace offering in our everyday prayers, if you have a prayer life. I mean, anybody have a prayer life? Yes. <laughs> Only one person? Yeah. Good, good yeah. job, Dina. <laughs> so if in our everyday prayer life, we actually touch these three offerings, let me prove it to you. When we end our prayers saying in Yeshua's name, that is offering him as a burnt offering. It's offering him up as the sacrifice. Because we end the prayer in his name. We don't end the prayer in our name. We end the prayer in his name. So we're offering him up. When we pray and tell God that he is our daily bread and supplier, we are talking as in Messiah as our grain or meal offering. So in our everyday prayer, when we say, Lord, you are my supplier, you are my daily bread, we are including the grain offering. By these two things involved in our everyday prayer, we can then enjoy the peace offering because the peace offering is knowing that we are establishing a communion with God daily. Every time you step that or you set aside time to pray to God and spend time with God, you are setting a time between just simply you and God. You are reestablishing a connection or establishing a connection, a conversation between you and your father. And so when you end in Jesus' name or in Yeshua's name, you're offering him up as a sacrifice. And in the process of your prayer, whatever it is you're praying for, nine out of ten times, usually in the morning, you say, you're my daily portion, you're my daily bread, you're my supplier. Therefore, the grain offering is also involved. So we see all three offerings that we've studied so far in our everyday prayer. You know why? Because all three point to Messiah. Amen. That's why they're involved in our everyday prayer. Amen. First, we see how all three sacrifices point to Messiah, but through them and by understanding them, we are actually doing, what we're actually doing is drawing closer to God. All these sacrifices, while they point to Messiah, and we know that, as we sit down to study them, we see the, the, the reconnection with God again. And what we're actually doing is drawing near God. Isn't that what God wants from us? For us to draw near to Him? Just as He draws near to us? Come on, amen. So in a sense, we are drawing near to God every single day. Every, every time we sit down to pray to God, we're drawing near to God. That's what we can draw from the fountain of life. Amen. You cannot draw from someone that you're not near to. Come on. It is impossible to draw from someone that you're not near to. You might have heard of him. You might know who he is, but you're not near to the one who you know. Therefore, you can't draw. Amen. 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 I'll begin to close with this. We only got 17 verses in this chapter. We'll read from verse 9 to verse 11. It says, from the sacrifice of fellowship offering, he shall bring a gift made by fire to Adonai. It is fat, the entire tail fat cut away close to the backbone. 
along with the fat that covers the innards and all the fat that is in the entrails, as well as the two kidneys and the fat that is over them, which is by the loins, plus the cover of the liver that he is to remove with the kidneys. The priest is to burn it up as smoke on the altar. Again, we see a key element that we spoke about earlier, the smoke. As a food offering made by fire to Adonai. We see here again the importance God gives to the fat. <clears throat> Through all of this chapter, God is mentioning the fat. The part of that animal that is the best, that was considered the, 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 the most the most uh, precious of, of that animal and the best part of that animal technically quote unquote to eat, but we know that it was not meant to be eaten. It was meant to be sacrificed. So again, we see God giving the importance of the fat and how it was supposed to be a food offering to him. Not a food offering for you to eat, a food offering to him. In other words, a sacrifice. What was left of the animal then the worshiper, the priest, would eat together, therefore creating some sort of fellowship between him, the priest, and God. But God got the first portion. Come on. Notice this. Please don't miss this. God got the first portion, and he got the best. Yeah. We are the ones that get the leftovers. A lot of times we want to give God the leftovers, and we want the best. But we expect God's best from our leftovers. Wow. Now, when we read this couple of verses, it almost sounds redundant of what God talks about the fat and the fat tail. But studies show that during this time, they used to be they used to call a certain sheep the fat tail sheep. It's different from the sheep nowadays that, that we see. There was a sheep during this time that was called the fat-tailed sheep. So the tail of this sheep is said to weigh almost 60 pounds. It was a big sheep. 60 pounds is a lot of weight. That's why God is emphasizing on the back part of the animal. If you guys keep noticing scripture, it doesn't talk about the middle section of the animal. It keeps talking about the back, the fatter part of the animal. The, he the, the healthier part of the animal, where the best fat was, said, that is what I want. So this sheep was called the fat-tailed sheep. It was larger than the one nowadays, therefore implying a larger, better meal unto the Lord. So meaning, it not only had to cost the person to bring the sacrifice, but they just couldn't bring any sheep. They had to go from the herd and from the flock and look for that specific fat-tailed sheep and be like, that's the one. But wait, Lord, I only have one. That's the one I want. That's the one I want. But Lord, you know how much it cost me. Oh, did you forget that I only had one? And it cost me everything? You're right, Lord. We give you our best because you gave your best. Amen. Amen. Now again, what's actually taking place here in these verses is again fellowship between God and men. Because even though the best was given to God, whatever was left over would then be food for the worshiper, the one bringing the sacrifice, for the priest, the one doing the ritual, and in the presence of God. 
So again, we see God fellowshipping with man as man is trying to reestablish the connection with God. Amen? Amen? We'll read the last five verses and we'll finish with that. If his offering is a goat, then he shall present it before Adonai. He is to lay his hand on his head and slaughter it before the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons are to splash, it, to splash his blood around the altar. From it, he is to offer as his sacrifice an offering made by fire to Adonai. The fat that covers the innards, all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is over them, which is by the loins, and cover of the liver, which he must remove with the kidneys. The priest is to burn them on the altar. It is food. It is the food of the offering made by fire, a soothing aroma to Adonai. All fat is for Adonai. It is to be a perpetual statue throughout your generations and all your dwellings that you must eat neither fat nor blood. This is the reason why we have to read all the scriptures. Because if we just pick and choose and we take scripture out of context, we miss key elements in scripture. If we don't read to verse 17, we realize we may think that this is just for the time of the Israelites. That's what modern day religion says. Oh, that's just for the Israelites. But wait a second. Verse 17 says this is perpetual statue. Perpetual means forever. It's not for a period of time. It wasn't for the Israelites. It was for all those who are called obedient to the word of God in its totality. Not just part of it. Not what suits me. Not what I want to believe. No, no. God rolled from Genesis to Revelation. He didn't start in Matthew. So for those that say the fat of the meat is bad, you might want to think again. That's all you. I don't need <laughs> I'm good with the Lord right there. <laughs> God gives great emphasis on the fat. Great emphasis on the fat. The fat is what gives flavor to the loins. Ain't that right, Gabby? Now, verse 16 ends saying, all fat is for Adonai. Why? Why would God put that in there? Because this sacrifice demonstrates that God claimed upon all that is value, in other words, the best. <coughs> God is claiming the best of our lives. And therefore, we should give God the best. Fat, listen, if you don't know this, fat is essentially stored energy. Wow. That's interesting. Please don't miss this. Mm -hmm. Fat is essentially stored energy. And it belongs to the Lord. He says there, all fat is for the Lord. In other words, our best and all of our energy should be devoted to the Lord. Wow. And he takes care of the rest. When God puts emphasis on something, it's because it's very important. You might want to pay attention. Mm -hmm. 
So he puts emphasis on the fat because the fat is store energy. And a lot of times we waste our energy and our time on things that are meaningless. It's the number one source of energy, actually. That's correct. Wow. There's bad fat and there's good fat. Here, God is talking about the good fat of the animal. That's why he, he talks specifically the best of the best of the animal, the back parts, the loins, the entrails. That's the best part of the fat. So he, God is telling you this morning, do not waste your time. Do not waste your energy on things that are meaningless. Wow. Devote it to me and I will take care of everything for you. All your needs will be met according Amen. to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Not what you want. What you need. There's a difference between wants and needs. Our needs align to the word of God. Our wants rarely do. Finally, verse 17 ends with a spiritual significance for all of us today. It says, you shall not eat neither fat or blood. This tells us that we should never waste our energy or lives in anything else other than giving both of them completely to God. Mm. Fat, energy, blood, lives. Wow. Do not waste your life. Do not waste your energy on things that are meaningless. Devote them to me, says the Lord, and I will take care of all your needs. Amen. 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 Go ahead and then the light.